0: Let's turn uh, in our Bibles to 1 Timothy 2, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 8 down to the end of the chapter. You might be wondering uh, why I've chosen this passage this morning. Uh, Well, I'm no different from uh, most people in that I like to be liked, don't particularly like uh, stinging criticism or uh, rebuke. And I haven't chosen the passage because it is, uh, in many circles, an unpopular passage or because many people do uh, reject it, Uh, but simply because we're having an election of office bearers in a couple of weeks, and the names on the list which the trick Sessioner have put forward are male names. And whilst that may be something which is quite familiar to some of us, and we have no problems with it, I have... No doubt that there may be some of us who struggle with that and I don't want us to simply accept uh, that procedure because it's the way we always do things or because it's the way the free church does things. but I want us to uh, work our way around to seeing why that is uh, a proper and a biblical way and also something which we can affirm and celebrate together as we work through the teaching uh, of Paul in these verses. I was listening to the radio in the car last week and uh, there was a short piece, I didn't get all the detail, but I think it was the the head of the uh, Air Sea Rescue speaking to an AGM and indicating that uh, he was going to be stepping down and he hoped that his successor uh, wouldn't be a woman because it was uh, a demanding role. And yeah, you can imagine uh, what happened, and it did happen. There was this undercurrent of uh, grumbling and, and, uh, and real discontent, a bit of barracking going on. And I have to say, I had complete sympathy for the audience at that point. Uh, this uh, hapless guy was saying that a woman wasn't really up to the task of doing something, uh, something no less difficult and tasks that many women up and down the country are fulfilling uh, as well or better than men. We live in a society where women are increasingly, although not uh, fully, represented at every level of leadership. It's recognised as a desirable uh, matter of gender equality. So, What are the issues for us as we address this? Well, basically, uh, there are two views here, and two large words, and preachers aren't supposed to use large words, but here we go, two large words. One position is that of egalitarianism. Now, that simply is, accepting that women and men are equal, Uh, the understanding is because they are equal, their roles should be interchangeable. In that goes across the board, the, the you the men can be fighter pilots and women can be fighter pilots, and so on. Complementarianism uh, is it's really a, a view which is uh, found within uh, the church, and that is that men and women are equal, but their roles are different, and that the difference in their roles complement each other. <coughs> so it is most certainly not. A denial of equality, because that would go against the whole uh, teaching of creation, that men and women are created in the image of God, Uh, but it's saying that there is a difference in the roles we find ourselves fulfilling. A little bit on context uh, before we look at the verses. There is a historical context, first of all, to to bear in mind here. Who is the letter written to? The letter is written to Timothy. Timothy is Paul's son in the faith, and Timothy at this time is working in Ephesus. Chapter 1, verse 3 tells us that uh, he's in Ephesus. Why is that significant? Well, Ephesus was the the centre of not just the worship of Artemis, but a number of other uh, female deities, and uh, women were very uh, strongly represented right up the, the hierarchy. There were quite a number of priestesses, for example, to Artemis uh, in Ephesus, uh, and so this was a this was a context in which uh, women were expected uh, to be leaders uh, in a religious context. Also, he's addressing, or Timothy will be addressing. Uh, gathering of Christians which are largely Gentile, and therefore they're not accustomed to the way that God was worshipped in the synagogue. And in the synagogue, uh, gender roles were were quite clearly defined to the extent that men and women sat uh, separately within the synagogue. But this isn't something that they are familiar with. They are familiar with the, uh, the viewpoint that pertained in Ephesus and its religions. And then there is the context of the letter itself. As Paul writes to Timothy, one of the the leading concerns that he has is the ordering of the household. And he speaks of that in terms of the the natural household, i.e. the family. And we'll be looking at the qualifications for elders and deacons in Subsequent Sundays, and it's interesting that their ability to order or manage their household is an important uh, aspect of their suitability for the office of elder or deacon. And the argument is that if a man cannot order his own household, how can he be expected to bring order to the household of God? And this. Uh, Dual application of the word household to the family and to the church occurs quite frequently. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 4, chapter 3, verse 12, Uh, chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, Paul writes, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of and foundation of the truth so Paul's concerned with the ordering of the household, and in particular, uh, in a context which was very different religiously from Judaism, how do the men and the women relate within the household of God? Now, there are a number of different ways that uh, people respond to. The teaching in these verses and in other parts of the New Testament, uh, one response is to say, Ah, Paul's simply wrong. And liberal churches and liberal teachers, i.e., those who do do not take the authority of the Bible seriously, have no qualms about saying, Well, that was Paul. And we all know that Paul was a misogynist or a woman hater. And we can we can uh, be at perfect liberty to ignore what Paul said on this. We know better now than Paul. Uh, Then there's another view which is kind of nudging more towards an evangelical viewpoint, and that is that when Paul puts a restriction on the role responsibilities of women in the church, uh, it's only because Of a specific situation which was temporary but in general the argument goes Paul's outlook is egalitarian and the appeal is always made to uh, a verse uh, in Galatians Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And the argument there is, Paul has made it clear that this is his core belief, that there's no difference between men and women uh, if we're in Christ. And therefore, roles are interchangeable. Now the problem with that, of course, is that Galatians 3.28 is not talking about roles. It's talking about salvation. It's saying that uh, now that uh, we are living in the era of the new covenant, there's no barrier between Gentile or Jew, and neither is there between any other class or gender or background. All are one in Christ Jesus. So it's addressing the issue of salvation. So it's really a red herring, and it's not a proper use of scripture to, to kind of squash everything else into this verse when it's not addressing the problem as such third one and it's an increasingly popular way of uh, avoiding what Paul is teaching here is to say that in the Bible there is a, a movement or a trajectory and it's moving in a progressive way uh, to liberate women more and more and include them in uh, more leadership positions and so uh, you have a progression from the Old Testament to the New but it doesn't finish at the new and the new is pointing towards uh, a further development. In other words, the New Testament isn't the last word on what should be. Now, of course, we ought to see how that flies in the face of uh, what the Bible itself teaches about the sufficiency of the Bible. Uh, We don't have a word of God that is partially uh, useful for life and faith. We have here all that we need for life and faith. Uh, it is not uh, incomplete. It is sufficient for us, for life and for the ordering of our church. Which leaves us with the alternative of actually believing that Paul uh, really meant what he said, that his words aren't to be uh, somehow mashed up and made to be a little bit more appealing, but that we have to work through what he said and we are to affirm uh, this as God's teaching for how we order the household of God. (coughs) So let's look at the teaching itself. Uh, There's teaching which is addressed to men first, and then there's teaching which is addressed to the women in the church. And in both cases, uh, men and women are urged to to look to those areas uh, where they're particularly susceptible because of their gender. And this is simply realistic. There's some things uh, to which I, as a man, will be more prone uh, in the area of temptation than a woman would be, and vice versa. Uh, And Paul says that men are particularly prone to dodging their responsibilities. Men, he says, should uh, lift up holy hands in prayer. I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without arg- anger or quarreling. Paul's not implying that women should not pray uh, in the congregation. Uh, that's been made clear in 1 Corinthians 11, where is discussing head coverings in the context of congregational gatherings and speaking about what is appropriate for a woman who's praying or prophesying so he's not saying men pray and women don't he's saying that men ought to take the lead they ought to be eager in the work of prayer look Duncan, duncan the theologian in the states formerly a minister in first presbyterian church in jackson uh, studied in Edinburgh and uh, he tells about a time when, uh, in his time in Edinburgh he was worshipping at Holyrood Abbey uh, Church of Scotland and Holyrood Abbey like a, a number of other uh, evangelical CFS congregations at the time had a vibrant uh, prayer meeting they had a prayer meeting on Saturday evenings which lasted two and a half hours and he recalls that there was one occasion when uh, the, the prayer time got going, and it was a good time of prayer. And uh, one uh, prayer after another was being offered. But half an hour passed, and it was only uh, the women who had prayed. Not a single man had prayed in that time. And James Phillip, the minister, stopped the prayer meeting and castigated the men for their lethargy in prayer. And quite right. Because men ought to take a lead in prayer. This is part of the responsibility Uh, in the home to take a lead in family worship and in the church to be eager to step up to the plate in the place of prayer. And men, we're prone to dodge our responsibilities in doing that. And Paul is speaking out against that. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. The other thing that we're prone to as men is we're prone to anger and quarrel our hormonal makeup, we might say. It's a particular uh, proneness that we have to to sin of a certain kind. And if we give way, uh, if our relationships are damaged because of a proneness to quarreling or being angry, it will affect our prayer life. It will affect uh, the ability of others, especially the ladies in the congregation, to respect. Who's going to respect somebody uh, who cannot control his temper? Men, then, ought to be able to control their tempers, ought to see that they're not falling out continually with others, and should take a lead in the spiritual struggle, which is prayer. Men need to step up to the plate. During the Nazi occupation of uh, Denmark in World War II, uh, this man here, King Christian X, uh, who, by the way, was well-known and loved by the people because during the occupation he went about without a bodyguard. He claimed, the people of Denmark are my bodyguard. And there was one occasion when the Nazis, uh, despite the the, the terms of agreement with with the Danes, had raised uh, a swastika over a public building. King Christian immediately called the German commandant, demanding that the flag be taken down at once. And the commandant refused, and the king replied, then a soldier will go and take it down. He will be shot, threatened the commandant. I think not, replied the king. I will be that soldier. The flag immediately came down. Point is, here was A leader worthy of respect because he stepped up to the plate in the struggle. Men who are worthy of respect take on the responsibility and don't shirk it. They step up to the plate in the spiritual struggle of prayer. Now, the lifting of hands is in itself not significant. There were various postures for prayer throughout the Bible. Uh, sometimes people uh, prayed uh, face down on the ground Uh, sometimes kneeling standing, whatever Uh, (laughs) it's fairly typical that we tend to obsess on details like this, you know it comes to baptism and we get preoccupied with how much water, what's important is not the hands but the heart he wants men to pray from an undivided heart and to be uh, eager to take on the responsibility men, you should always be Uh, eager at the prayer meeting. Women. (coughs) Again, Paul uh, wants to address some of the, the areas which, by our gender, we are more susceptible. And women are called on to think Christianly about the way they dress. Now, that's not a stereotype. It's just a plain fact. By and large, uh, let's be honest. Clothes are more important uh, to you, uh, women folk, than they are to the men. And there's a danger uh, of losing balance, and clothing, or the lack of clothing, can be used subtly as a moral snare. So Paul says, women should adorn themselves. In respectable apparel with modesty and self control, not with braid hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Now, straight away, that is not uh, commending to women uh, to uh, ignore fashion or to deliberately dress dowdly. It uh, is true, however, that. Fashion, as with every other aspect of human culture, is open to sinful corruption. And Paul saying, Christian women are not to be led blindly by fashion into wearing clothes that leave, for example, little to the imagination and create all kinds of temptation for the guys. Now the guys, of course, are responsible for where they look and responsible for how they think But remember, respect, mutual respect is at the heart of Paul's teaching on the genders. And it's hard for men to respect women whose attire makes it difficult for them to control their thoughts. So Paul says, ladies, think about how you dress. So there's this aspect of modesty, but there's also the element of whether one is superficial or not. Remember, uh, respect is due to godly Christian women. But the godly Christian woman uh, is to show that she doesn't find her her meaning or even her beauty in the way she dresses. You're not what you dress. It's different in the secular world. You are judged by how you dress. And body shape, physical beauty, clothes and accessories, they are the things that the world by and large zooms in on and makes its verdict. And that's shallow, that's superficial, and godly women aren't to buy that. The Christian women that command respect show that their priorities are not external, they're not superficial, but they, they are deep and substantial. So again, uh, as with the, the holy hands thing, Paul is not Paul is not outlawing braiding your hair, for example, or wearing anything that is gold. Uh, these are simply ways of, of uh, making concrete uh, the idea of placing undue uh, emphasis on one's appearance, or the way one adorns oneself. Christian women are called to see their true adornment in things such as acts of mercy, compassion, and justice. So that's women and fashion. Women in teaching, women are to learn in quietness and full submission. It's only natural when we read that, that we instantly focus on the words uh, quietness and full submission. But that actually would be to miss a very significant uh, element of what Paul is saying here. Women are to learn. That doesn't seem radical in our ears, but it was radical, uh, especially within Judaism. Women are to be lifelong learners are to be students of the word women are to get into theology women are to grapple with hermeneutics women are to be able to, to dig deep and fathom the deep mysteries of the faith, they are to learn now, Judaism didn't consider that women should wear Judaism didn't think that women were worth teaching and Jesus subverted all that One of the most beautiful pictures that we have in the New Testament is Mary sitting at the feet of her master, being taught by Jesus, the greatest teacher the world ever ever saw, Jesus the, the great rabbi. But their attitude to discipleship should respect the ordering that God has set in his household. Uh, so there to to learn with respect to that. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? How how subtly uh, you can seek to to show that you're wanting to learn, but actually what you're doing is you're getting across your supposedly superior knowledge. Question can be a very subtle thing. Prime Minister's Question Time, for example is the great example of the use of questions to ambush the person being asked. Somebody's not so much looking for information as to put down uh, you know, the, the prime minister or the first minister. Well, Christian women are to be above that sort of thing in the church. And you know, that very often calls for restraint because they may very well be uh, the intellectual superiors of those that, uh, that, that are teaching them, but they are to show restraint. They could easily ambush their elders or ministers, they could subvert their authority, but they are to be above that kind of thing. Thirdly, uh, Paul's teaching implies that women are not to preach or be elders. Uh, that, I think, is a clear implication of, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. Now, it's increasingly rare, it has to be said, for, for churches to uphold this. There's been an explosion uh, recently in uh, charismatic and Baptist churches, which would have once held to, to this ordering an explosion in the number of of uh, female preachers and female uh, elders and leaders. Not surprising to see it happen in mainline churches, but it is disappointing uh, to see it happen in evangelical churches. And it does represent a huge cave-in to the surrounding culture, which is very, very powerful at this point. I've read most of the arguments made as to why this text doesn't mean what it says, and none of them are very convincing. And so for a church to turn its back on the historic position of the church uh, is simply putting up the white flag, throwing in the towel in the name of seeking relevance. And of course, when you do that, you very quickly lose relevance. Paul grounds his command not in the passing culture of the day, but in creation Adam uh, was given a priority as being first in order of creation. Uh, Eve nevertheless rejected Adam's headship and took the initiative in obeying the serpent. And at the same time, uh, Adam was was standing around passively, uh, failing to take his leadership role. Paul is saying, that's what happens when you have a reversal of roles. It results in chaos and, and disaster. Now the, the last set, uh, sentence here is notoriously difficult. Women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. What does that mean? I don't have a huge amount of time for that, but it can't really mean that, that women will suffer no harm in the, the natural process of bearing children if they are godly, because plenty of godly Christian women uh, have, have died in childbirth. There is an, actually a definite article before the, the childbearing or childbirth. So, many uh, commentators believe that what is said here, women will be saved through the childbirth. Women will be saved through that child that will be born to the Saviour. And the, the point of expressing it in that particular way is that it's so poignant, isn't it? The pains of childbirth, the danger of childbirth, is mentioned in Genesis as, as part of the consequences of sin and the fall. Uh, i going back to this role reversal thing. And yet, in God's great mercy, in his amazing grace, that very process is the one by which the saviour of the world enters the scene. And Mary is rightly honoured as the one who bore the Lord Jesus Christ. And women of faith who seek to submit to God in all their ways will be saved through the one born in that way. Now once again, just as uh, raising of hands wasn't the main thing uh, in exhorting men to man up and lead in prayer, just as braiding hair wasn't the main thing in warning women against the the pitfalls of of following fashion, uh, so here being quiet isn't the issue. rather acknowledging God's ordering of his household. And what Paul is saying doesn't excuse us doing hard work when we try to work out uh, in real life situations how to submit to this teaching. What about the case of Priscilla for example, who along with Aquila uh, taught Apollos, who uh, had an incomplete understanding of the faith. What was going on there? Really know the full detail, but uh, could well be that this was an informal situation in the home and that she was teaching under the headship of her husband, who was present. Uh, once heard Elizabeth Elliot, who was the widow of the, the martyr Jim Elliot. Uh, she remarried, and uh, she was often asked to teach in different contexts. And she always spoke with her husband beside her uh, at the table in these uh, situations. Uh, and that was her way of expressing her submission uh, to this ordering of the household of God. What about women ministering in parachurch organisations, which are out outwith the, the regular church? or women who teach Greek or counselling in seminaries. If we are to to think and to to work counter-culturally, then we need to ensure that we're promoting the heart and the essence of the teaching and not uh, a wooden, literal expression of it. What about Jesus? Uh, Very often when people are seeking to do away with the implications of uh, this ordering within the church. They set Paul against Jesus. Uh, Paul, you know, is the the misogynist, but Jesus uh, had a very different uh, outlook. But it just will not work. Jesus doesn't provide this alternative. Jesus appointed 12 male leaders, uh, 12 of the apostles. Uh, They were all men. There was Ample opportunity to express a different view by making them 50 50. But Jesus, on the other hand, more than any other religious leader, showed women great respect. Uh, Jesus loved to be uh, at home with the sisters at Bethany. There were the women who supported the Lord Jesus and his disciples uh, by the giving of their own uh, money and resources. We see Jesus' revolutionary attitude towards women, uh, shown even towards the most frail women who came across his path. Think of uh, the, the gentleness with which Jesus deals with the woman at the well of Sychar, who was so much an outcast, she came to draw water when she knew nobody else would be there. Or think of the woman taken in adultery and Jesus' tenderness in his dealings with her and how different she would have found Uh, his approach to that of the hard-hearted hypocrites who had dragged her there. And then, of course, there's the remarkable fact that it was women who were made the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Mary Magdalene being the first to speak to the risen Lord. Jesus is, in fact, the one whose relationships are reflected in the relationships between men and women in the church. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And wives are to submit to the headship uh, of their husbands (coughs) just as the church recognises and submits to the headship of Christ. So... How does this uh, work out? Uh, all of this, for some of us, may be uh, hard to accept. But let me close with a couple of thoughts. Upholding a complementarian view of men and women sets the church at odds with the wider world. But hey, that is not such a bad thing. It's said that um, to be a successful inventor or designer, uh, one, of the, one of the things that people like that have in common is the ability to see things differently. That's what marked out uh, Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, and Bill Gates, of Microsoft. They looked at the same reality as other people, uh, but saw things, perceived things differently. Abraham uh, Maslow, the psychologist, is credited with this saying, if all you have is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. And we see the same kind of thing very much in the world around us. Uh, In a a single-minded crusade to make us all the same and all doing the same things in the same way. The egalitarians are very much like who have nothing but a hammer and therefore do a lot of bashing. And in the church we're called to celebrate something very different, to celebrate the right kind of diversity. We are different, and there are different roles which in very real and beautiful ways complement one another within the household of God. And the word complement, of course, implies that there are things that men cannot do as well as women can do in the service of God. One of the challenges is for us to acknowledge that and to recognize those areas and to affirm women in those ways. May God bless His word to us and may He enable us to, to humbly. Submit to him. Amen. Let's close by singing the song.